This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we present part two of the Change the World series entitled Participate in a Miracle. During this message, you will learn the three principles of a miracle of multiplication from chapter nine of the Gospel of Luke. Let's join Dr. Nate Rouge right now. We are in week number two of Change the World. Last week we looked at the kingdom of God and how God intends for his kingdom to work. And it's not like we would think it would be, but Jesus comes and he speaks to us. He talks to us. He brings something that we didn't have from any other source or any other place. You can't download it from the internet. You can't get it from your family necessarily, although kingdom values can be passed on. When Jesus showed up on the earth, he started talking about the kingdom and he used analogies that people would understand to kind of show them what he meant. And so he talked about the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed, and that mustard seed would grow. It's, the kingdom starts small, but it grows. And not only does it grow, not only does the kingdom of God grow in our own lives, but it's meant to be for the benefit of others, and how it grows into a tree where other birds would come and land on it and would benefit the world around. What God does in you and I is meant to start small, but it grows, and it's not for just us, it's for the world around us. Can I get an amen to that? And then we talked about the yeast, and uh, I was, it was Pastor Nate's cooking show last week, right? And uh, I was putting the apron on and talking about how the yeast goes into the dough, and it needs to work its way all the way through the dough, and then water gets in there, and it activates it, and it helps it expand and grow. And the kingdom of heaven does that in our life. We've got all of the pieces there. We've got relationships. Perhaps we've got careers or education, or maybe we've just got our own intellect, the things we like to do, the resources that we have. But when the kingdom of God comes, it expands and it grows and it benefits those that are around him. And uh, when I think of, of what God is doing in you and I, he's re- getting us ready to do miracles just like he did. Jesus wants to do things through his kingdom in our lives that benefit the people around us. And the greatest obstacle that we have to seeing that happen is our own thinking. We just begin to pull away and we think, well, I'm not gonna make a difference. I can't make a difference. But you can make a difference when you say, you know what, I'm submitted to who you say I am, Lord, and what you want to do in my life. And, you know, when it comes to what we're going to do, I just want to challenge you to consider that if God thinks we're valuable, we should think we're valuable. He thinks we're so valuable that he gave his one and only son for us, right? I love what C.S. Lewis says. He said, it costs God nothing so far as we know to create nice things, but to convert rebellious wills cost him crucifixion. That, that the lengths and the depths that God goes because he believes in us. Friends, you don't have time to be a victim. You don't have time to sit there and be uh, down on yourself. It's time to rise up and be who God has designed you to be. And when it comes to the world that's around us, the, the biggest challenge that we have is indifference. And we've got to fight indifference. And we don't care what's happening if people's lives are falling apart because you know what? God deeply cares. You know God's not happy with the hurt experiences of people around us in our culture, it bothers him too. It bothers him when he sees injustice and hatred and systemic poverty and generational abuse and corruption and disease and the overall spread of evil. Everywhere Jesus had gone, he looked to upend, to turn over, to disrupt the power of darkness. 
And I know that God is interested in our day today. How many of you have people in your life that you know the power of darkness is hurting right now? It's destroying their life. Well, I believe that God wants to come and he wants to do a major miracle, but here's the surprise. He wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through us. When the kingdom of God comes in us, he wants to move through us. He wants us to be a part of his miracle. And today, I want to tell you, you can participate in ongoing miracles. It's not just one time, but it's over and over and over again. So part two, change the world, is participate in a miracle. Turn with me to Luke chapter nine. In Luke chapter nine, we see Jesus has got crowds that are following him. And by this point of his ministry, he's got a group of 12 people that are kind of his entourage. And they are doing ministry together. Those 12 people are called the disciples. They're hand-picked people that Jesus had gone and said, hey, come and follow me. And by this point in time, there's miracles happening everywhere, and the word is spreading. It's viral. It's hit social media. It's gone viral, okay? And crowds are showing up. And as they show up, Jesus is going to do a feeding miracle for thousands of people. But I want you to see within this story how you can participate in your own miracle. Luke chapter 9, starting verse 10. When the apostles returned... They told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them towards the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. The paparazzi was coming. And he welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Listen, I want you to see this. Crowds follow Jesus. And if the crowds are following Jesus... He's teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. He's showing them things they had never heard before. He's healing the sick, and he's got great compassion on them. And one of the things I like about this is in the crowd, Jesus welcomed them. Are there people uh, uh, that irritate you, that you just don't like being around, right? Well, the chances are in this crowd, there are people that irritate Jesus. But for some reason... He's not put off by that. He welcomes the crowd because he's been trying to get away. And here they are jumping to his face, getting all up in his face, right? And they're, they're coming up. But it says he had compassion on them. He welcomed them. He welcomed them in. I don't know how many of you have ever been to a Vikings game and seen how people dress at a Vikings game. And the face paint and the horns on their head. It's bizarre, right? There's all kinds of different types of people and uh, all kinds of backgrounds. And when you look at Jesus and his crowd, a minimum of 5,000 people, it's probably upwards of 10 to 15,000 people that are there when you include uh, women and children, and uh, lots of people that are there, right? There's probably Republicans and Democrats in the crowd. There's, There's probably Packers and Vikings fans in the crowd. There's probably people that don't care about sports. They're tired of people talking about sports in the crowd. There's, there, there's people in the crowd that bug you. And Jesus welcomes them all. Jesus is not bugged by you. He's not put off by you. Some of us have this like thing like, I don't think Jesus would like me. He likes other kind of people. No, Jesus likes you. Verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat 
here in this remote place. Here I want you to see that the crowd had needs. They needed to eat. How many know as the day goes on, the more they speak, if the speaking is going on and they haven't eaten, they're getting a little hangry. How many of you have ever been hangry? You know what I'm talking about? That's hungry and angry put together all in one word, hangry. When you get hangry, you're not you. You're you without a Snickers bar. You're attitude central, right? The crowds are getting there, and the disciples are noticing this. They're, they're seeing it. And, uh, but here, here's, I want you to see it. Their tendency is to make it the people's problem to figure it out. So they say, send them away. Help them find their own lodging and their own food. Make it their problem so they can find food and lodging for the night. And I think that's a tendency that we have when we see people around us that have need. We tend to want to have them figure it out. Just go to a website, figure it out. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We begin to just want somebody else to do it. Responsibility is not something that comes natively. We only want to take care of ourselves. That's the way the disciples were. But I want you to see, Jesus isn't satisfied with that. Look at verse 13. What does Jesus say? But Jesus said, you feed them. He says, don't look to anybody else and don't leave it on their own shoulders. I want you to figure it out. Jesus, how many know if you work for Jesus, you wouldn't get away to nothing. He can see right through all of our excuses, all of our laziness, all of our desire to not have responsibility. Jesus has a way of going right to the point. He says, no, you feed them. See, Jesus had an agenda to feed the crowd, and he chose who he wanted to do the feeding. See, God always starts with you when it comes to a miracle. It's not the visiting evangelist that's got the superpowers. It's not somebody else that's got more education than you. It's not somebody more spiritual that's been going to church longer than you, or somebody that seems more eloquent than you are. He always starts with you. When it's a miracle that's going to take place in your life, in your family, in the world that's around you, when you feel the burden for things that are around you, the miracle is going to start with you. It starts with us. The disciples say, but, everybody said, but. How many know when you put the but in there, there's an exception, an exclusion, but that doesn't mean me. They say, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. And their immediate response was, we can't. We, we're not good enough. And we, our response is often our lack. Why we can't? But you find yourself, when there's an opportunity for a miracle, for God to prompt you to love somebody, to take care of needs, or to step out in faith, and to encourage somebody, the first thing that comes up is why you can't. The objections are internal. I love the scripture and seeing the different biographies of individuals. It's loaded with people who had exceptions. They had a but. Everybody's got a but. Everybody's got an exception. Everybody's got something that says, but not for me. That's for somebody else, right? 
Moses, who's called by God to, to lead the people of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. And, he, and God says, I want you to go. And he comes up with all of his exceptions. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then God says, what's in your hand? And the only thing he had in his hand was a staff. And he said, give it to me. Did you know that God wants to take whatever you have? Perhaps you feel like what you have in your hand is not good enough. You're in good company. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos's only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. Josiah was too young. Timothy had ulcers. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. Put that one together, right? John was self-righteous. Jesus was too poor. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas were both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worrywart. Mary was lazy. <laughs> Samson had long hair. Noah got drunk. Did I mention Moses had a short fuse and so did Peter, Paul, and a whole lot of folks had a short fuse. But God doesn't require a job interview. He doesn't hire and fire like most bosses because he's more like our dad than our boss. He doesn't look at financial gain or loss. He's not prejudiced or partial, not judging or grudging or sassy or pressed, not deaf to our cry, not blind to our need. And as much as we try, God's gifts are free. We can do wonderful things for wonderful people and still not be wonderful. Satan says you're not worthy, but Jesus says, so what, I am. Satan looks back and sees our mistakes, but God looks back and sees the cross. He doesn't calculate what you did in previous decades. It's not even on the record. Sure, there are a lot of reasons why God wouldn't want us. But if we are in love with him, and if we are hungering for him more than the next breath, he'll use us in spite of who we are, where we've been, or what we look like. We need to learn to step out of our limitations and our butt into the unlimited nature of the love of God. Can I get an amen? That's where it begins. It begins with you. And it begins because he chose you. Because he likes you. Say this with me. God made me the way he wanted me to be, and he likes me. It's true. And here's the deal, friends. Jesus will use what you do have. We get caught up on what we don't have, but Jesus will use what we do have. John's gospel tells us a, a different vantage point of the same story of the feeding of the 5,000. In John 6, uh, when Andrew the, and Simon Peter, the apostles, the disciples were talking to Jesus, they, they said to him, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? I ran to uh, Cub Foods on the way to church this morning. And I got five loaves. out of a sack lunch, come on somebody, that's how I used to go to school. Good old sack, how many use sack lunches? Okay. All right. Of course I had a dessert in mine all the time too. And I got two fillets. 
because I couldn't find the fish with the eyeballs so that you guys would believe me it's fish. These disciples are told to go feed him, and they come back with five little pieces of bread. I mean, I don't know how big the bread was, if it was a subway foot long or whatever, but it had to be enough for a little boy could carry it, right? Maybe it would work for a day or two, and it would sustain him, but that's basically all he had. And then they were looking at the crowds, and they're going, in a sense, they're like taking the bag and going, look at this. You want us to feed the crowd? Look at this. This is all we got. Don't you understand there's not much in this thing? How many of us do that with the Lord? You want me to step out, be a miracle man and woman of God? You want me to love and be a person of faith? You want me to raise my kids? You want me to be somebody that wins the lost and all that? But you don't understand what I got. And we swing it at them, right? And we've got our obstacles. But here's what I love. Jesus will use what you do have. He says in verse 14, tell them all to sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the people all sat down and he was about to take what they did have and do a miracle. And before we get to the miracle, I want you also to see he had them sit down in groups of about 50 each. You know, if, the, if an average family back in those days would be a husband and a wife and maybe three or four or five or six kids. It was a bigger family. Let's just say they only had one kid with them and there's three people per family. There's 15,000 men and women and children there. That's a lot of people. And Jesus knows I'm about to do a miracle. I gotta get the people ready for a miracle. And so he organizes them into groups. And listen, planning for a miracle is a good thing. Prepare yourself, get ready for the miracle. Don't just expect it to hit you upside the head. Prepare, living in an intentional way prepares us. Budgeting and schedules and planning give room for God to move throughout your life. Some of you are like, you said the budget word. Get thee behind me, Satan. Some of us don't want to live within the constraints of a budget. We don't want to live in the constraints of a, a schedule. We want to go to bed when we want to go to bed. We want to live however we want to live. And then we want God to show up the next day. And sometimes he will, but we can't handle it. Because we've been too unprepared for a miracle. And if it hit us, it wouldn't have anywhere to go. Jesus is sitting there thinking, in terms of, I couldn't do one line at the front of the room or the front of the crowd and have everybody come down. So he sits them down into groups of 50. Jesus was into connect groups before Pastor Nate was. And listen, by the way, when you're grouped together, you're ready for the miracle. You can share it with each other. That's why I want you in connection relationally with other believers. It's absolutely vital. Not only for the tough times, but also for the miracle times. Who are you going to share it with? Who are you going to talk to about? Who's going to disciple that new person that's coming to faith? Who's going to be the one that helps people out that are coming that you've been praying for? How many of you are praying for people that are away from Jesus? You're praying for lost loved ones and people you work with. Well, get ready to, for the miracle. Prepare for the miracle. It's okay to plan for the miracle. And then... We get ready for this miracle. But I also want you to know that it's not just related to what's happening out there. 
I think when we are connected to what God is doing in this broader kingdom and it doesn't directly benefit us, something happens. There's a partnership. You build the kingdom of God and he builds your house. He takes care of your family. So there's an importance there. But I also believe that God wants to do a miracle in your house. He wants to do one in the circle of, of influence that you have. He wants to have a miracle in your school I believe in God for a major revival in the next generation. I want to see middle schoolers and high schoolers one to Christ by the thousands. I want to see it happen. I'm believing for it. And that miracle hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Can I get an amen? And when, when we look at how it happens, I want you to see what happens next. What Jesus does with the bread is what he would do with his disciples. You see, bread was something that was used 82 times in the New Testament. Bread is something that's a symbol, not just a physical piece of bread that we see. Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And Jesus said that he had to be broken for the healing of the nations. And there is a brokenness that he would go through, we'll talk about it in a minute, that would be an example for his disciples long after he left. They would remember, how is, and we know how Jesus did miracles in the past, but how is he going to do it in the future? The same way. He's going to use you and me to be a part of that. And so you're going to see just three things that I want to point out that are principles of a miracle of multiplication. Verse 16, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And they ate all, ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. The first principle of a miracle of multiplication is blessing before a multiplication. In other words, Jesus had to have it, so he took the bread. He had to have it, and then he had to bless it. Now, I want you to think in terms of your own life. In order for you to see a miracle, you have to be able to put it in Jesus' hands. How much worry do we carry because we're keeping it in our hands and not putting it in his hands? How much anxiety is, is, is kind of covering this, uh, the thoughts in the middle of the night and the worry about that loved one or the friend and the, the, the things that you can't control that are going on in their life? How many know there's a lot in life that we can't control? And if we keep that in our own heart and our own weight of uh, emotion comes on us, it's overwhelming. But if we can learn to cast our cares on Jesus as he's invited us, something good can come out of it. It has to be taken. Everybody said, take me. So you gotta say to the Lord, take me, right? And then he blessed it. You know what blessing is in the, in the scripture? Blessing is the smile of God. Blessing is undeserved sometimes. Blessing is causing crooked things to go straight. Blessing takes what's ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Blessing takes what you can't do on your own and makes it go further than you could ever dream of. Blessing is the smile of heaven. It's undeserved. But it's the blessing. And when you're in Jesus' hands and he takes you and he blesses you, you need to understand this, whether it's your family or your business or your finances, or your physical body, God won't bless what we haven't given him. He's not gonna bless it if you're not giving it to him. 
This is one reason that I keep challenging you to take the step of faith in tithing. Because if you give God the 10%, it's not about whether the church knows, it's not about us raising big offerings or nothing. It has everything to do with are you putting your whole life in his hands or are you holding it together yourself? Blessing before multiplication. The second principle is this, broken before release. Broken before release. He took the bread, he blessed the bread, and then he broke the bread. And that breaking is a part of his body on the cross. It would be the part of the lifestyle of his disciples. They had to learn to be broken. And friends, when we come to Jesus, we need to learn to surrender to him. We're not doing God a favor by getting saved. But we can forget that sometimes. We're like, I don't know if I should go to church. Church is lucky I go there. And then there's people that just never lose their gratefulness, their heart of gratitude. I can't believe I'm saved. Decades in the story, being a Paul that says, I was the worst of sinners. But for God's grace, where would I be, right? But when you live in that, and you're going to be broken, in order for a miracle to happen, we have to be willing to be inconvenienced. Whoa, pastor, step back, please. Nobody wants to be inconvenienced for a miracle. But I would argue you can't have a miracle without being inconvenienced. The third thing is this. Given away before it can multiply. Given away before it can multiply. The food was blessed in Jesus' hands, but multiplied in his disciples' hands. As they gave it away, more came behind. If you don't give it away, you don't get the multiplication. Jesus' disciples were just as hungry as the crowd, but they had to learn that Jesus did his miracles when he gave it away and when they gave it away. Fear says, I can't, no way. We can't afford to help with the miracles Jesus is doing today. But friends, we grow in our steady stewardship so that we're ready for the opportunity of a miracle when it comes. What I'm saying is this. When it comes to being ready to say yes to the Lord, and I'm not just talking about a financial offering, but I'm saying until you learn to be steady and faithful with obedience and say yes to the Lord, you won't be ready for the bigger things that you really want. But when you can learn to be steady, you tithe, you take care of your finances, you're a good steward of your time and your resources, and he asks you to be inconvenienced, and you step out in faith, you discover as you're giving away, God replaces that, and now you're expanding your capacity. I wanna grow in my giving. I want this church to grow. We feed the crowd, God keeps using us. We feed the crowd, God keeps using us, friends. I want him to trust us with more so we can give more. Can I get an amen? Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org.